0: Welcome to an Institute podcast with Brother Mickelson and Brother Anderson. This season, we address the Gospel Topics Essays as part of an interactive podcast
1: experience. I don't feel any nervousness talking about these subjects, and I don't feel nervous talking about a subject that we don't have all the answers to. That, that's, that's not really a problem. It is important that you know the content in these essays, like you know the back
0: of your hand. And here's the podcast. Check, 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 check. Hey Siri, make an audio FaceTime call to Brian. Let's rock and
1: roll.
0: Listen, when you said I had 15 to 20 minutes, I thought that would give me enough time to set up my boom arm for my mic. And when I pulled it out and hooked everything up, it doesn't support my Yeti microphone. So I was trying to troubleshoot, and you weren't helping by, what did you say? Something about eternal COVID? COVID. COVID. (laughs) So somehow I got to figure out how this generic boom stand, I think I did something to the spring inadvertently.
1: Ben, you can't just be flippant with your boom stand. There was no instructions. So what else was I supposed (laughs) to do? Yeah, you're a man. You weren't going to read them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's true. I didn't even look to see if there were any instructions until after
0: it wasn't working. Then I was like, okay, where's the instructions? Hey, this thing
1: should be working. <laughs>
0: and then I looked for the hey. name brand of it, and the name brand is Microphone boom stand. <laughs> There's like no
1: n- badging or anything. <laughs> yeah, shoot. Uh, lap, did I have a buzz last week too, or did that get fixed? Do you remember? Oh, your sound was great last week. Oh, oh, nice. So it.
0: maybe it was your office. Oh uh, Yeah, it, I'm sure it was. Yeah, so you're not in your office now? Mm-mm. Nope, out in the classroom. Good. The classroom of life. There was a little bit of an echo. I could tell you were in a bigger room, but that was the only thing. I'll take that over that buzz any day. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we've got one more after this, but I'm not sure we're going to get to it because next week's Christmas. So whatever. It's the uh, historicity and translation of the book of Abraham. Um, Which is a pretty fun one. It is a fun one. Uh, I just don't know when we'll record it because of holidays and stuff. But we have a fun one today, Race in the Priesthood. Here we go. Lots of fun for this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed this read. Uh, I, I do believe this issue is different from any of the other ones that we have, which um, we could talk about. But
1: what, what— Shad, how so?
0: Well, no, no, no. no. Let's uh, let's get into some first impressions here. <laughs> what, what, uh, what were some of the things that uh, are on your mind after reading it again this time?
1: So— <clears throat> I, I will say a, a couple of things that stand out. I don't know if these are new impressions, just thoughts, I don't know. At no, unless I'm reading this wrong, there isn't even a hint in the essay that anyone thinks that Brigham Young received this directive via revelation. Right. Correct. Right. But, so a lot of people will say, then why did, did they need a revelation to change it? Well, my guess is... The brethren, the leaders of the church, don't feel they have a right to just change things regardless of how they came to be without getting Heavenly Father's input. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, there may be uh, times—this, again, totally guessing—there may be times that the brethren feel like there's a move that needs to be made. They pray about it. They don't really feel either way, and they think, well, let's just make the best policy we can with the circumstances. We can, and if we need to change it later, we'll need to change it later, you know. Uh, this one, they sure felt like this is a big enough change. We need to get input from the Lord. And according to those who were involved, multiple accounts of those who were involved, the Lord did make His will known, yeah. uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- that's what's unique is the, the policy change is canonized. It's official declaration
1: too. Yeah. And I wondered about that because we don't ever... But the but the policy itself isn't canonized. Yeah, there's you know, no there's
0: no beginning revelation. So you could say, well, it's like uh, the ending of plural marriage, uh, which is official declaration one. Except if official declaration one has DNC one thirty two, so it's got a beginning and yeah. an end. This one yeah. doesn't. So it's it's very unique in that way.
1: Now now, it. I don't think we know if Brigham Young thinks he got a revelation. Brigham said,
0: if no other prophet said it, I will. And then he said the black skin curse of Cain. Right.
1: But what I'm I'm saying is we don't have anywhere Brigham saying, yes, I received this policy under the direction of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. But we also don't have him saying, no, I just was trying to get statehood for Utah. You know what I mean? We, don't, we, we just nothing, don't have him yeah. saying it, especially in 1852 or or anywhere right around there. Right. So it's it, so
0: yeah, it's weird it, but it, it's yeah. tr- it is it's tricky for all those reasons because um and and he said that that whole if no other prophet said it I did. He said that in a debate in the Utah territorial, you know, probably to Orson yeah. Pratt, which unfortunately we don't have Orson Pratt's speech before that which was critical. And, and who was a, sit, a sitting apostle and a representative and so it's it is it's this funny uh, prophet/ slash governor you know theocracy thing going on and and so and, and and to your point about why there maybe felt the need to be a revelation this this policy had had so much um, what do we say that, like there's a lot of prophets who had things to say about it a lot of scriptures put forth a lot of justification. A lot of yeah. things went into this thing that it felt like it was a big enough deal. And uh, yeah, and so a revelation came. That's what I think mm-hmm. makes it kind of unique. Um, the other thing I thought was kind of unique was the way the paper talks about the whole thing. Um, I don't know what page we're even on. This is probably under the section removing the restriction. Mm-hmm. There's two paragraphs though that say several things that make this sound like this is less God and more human. Uh, yeah. The paragraph that says, "As the church grew worldwide, its overarching mission to go ye therefore and teach all nations, which is God, right, seemed yeah. increasingly incompatible with the priesthood
1: temple restrictions." So that we that can't line, really do the thing the Lord's asking us to do, yeah, if because we of keep this, this policy. Yeah,
0: it seemed increasingly incompatible. Then it continues to talk about how the Book of Mormon has a very expansive universal gospel message. While there were no limits on whom the Lord invited to partake of his goodness through baptism, the priesthood and temple restrictions created significant barriers. And then this line, a point made increasingly evident. So again, it's, you know, a, a human agent as the church mm-hmm. spread internationally. And then, in then the next paragraph talks about the temple being built in Brazil and the, um, you know, the, the thousands of Nigerians and Ghanaians who were, who were whose conversions had, quote, moved church leaders. So, all yeah. of that kind of taken into place, it does. It leaves the question of what do we even make with this? Policy. If there's no, thus saith the Lord, and and really, I mean, through the 1800s, after Brigham Young said it, and then when it was kind of brought up again with Eliza Abel um, trying to get a temple recommend to receive his endowment and be sealed to his late wife, and John Taylor had to launch an investigation, like is his is his priesthood authority legit, and where do we find this policy and. It kind of came up as, yes, his priesthood authority was legit, but we don't know where this policy comes from. And it was just deemed we're going to trust Brigham Young that, that he yeah. put it in place. That's where it landed. But, I mean, the fact that they had to launch an investigation means how up in
1: the air they, they weren't sure where it came from, you know? Right, right. And they're, and they're launching an investigation pretty darn early in the history of the policy. Uh-huh. I mean, that's uh-huh. Elijah Abel. It's not like he's 200 years after... 1857. Yeah, you and know it's what I mean? John, 1852.
0: And it's John Taylor launching the the investigation. Right. John Taylor was in Carthage with Joseph. Like you know what I mean? he, so, he, he
1: knows Brigham yeah. really well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, it's a it's a little bit more you know, you, understandable if a Joseph F. Smith. Is saying, no, I think it started with Joseph Smith, but Joseph F. was five when Joseph died. You know what I mean? So yeah, like yeah. but but John Taylor didn't even know this thing. And so I, I think that actually tells us two things. One, this policy and its origins are a mystery. And two, this must not have been talked about very much. You know, if John Taylor, who sat in councils with Brigham Young almost from the beginning, was like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like then yeah, where yeah. was this? Like I remember about? when this
1: first came out we all talked about exactly. what the deal was. It certainly
0: yeah. doesn't meet the standard of section 107, which says that these things need to be done unanimously with the first presidency. So
1: is there a chance that Brigham Young just said it as almost as part of the governing part of him, meaning I'm trying to get statehood. I'm trying to make everybody happy with, you know what I mean? And not that he's not, you know, I don't know how often Brigham thought of himself as a governor and not a prophet. Yeah, I think you know he blended on two pretty consistently. He was always one, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, like, I, again, I wonder if he was like, I, I just made the policy. I just, I was making a policy. Yeah. And I made the policy, and I, whether Brigham thought it was of God or not, Brigham obviously didn't think it was a bad idea because he went forward with it. Yeah. But, you know, again, not, not having a state full of black people... Might have made it hard for Brigham to see what this policy really would look like. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, we could we could go all kinds of speculation on this, right? We could say the Lord, you know, and you've heard this in Sunday school class. The Lord put this policy forth because we weren't ready to accept black people. I don't know, whatever. Or the Lord put this thing forth um, because it was the way to preserve the church. Or you could say Brigham Young put this thing forth and, and and it seems like in the setting he was in as they're trying to get statehood and they're trying to set some things in place and you got some uh, converts from the South bringing their slaves and what are, what is the status of the slaves here? You know, that he's talking like a politician. And it's also possible that Brigham Young was just straight up racist and put out a racist policy, right? Like there's, that's
1: the whole spectrum of things. And let's let's take a second and talk about the word racist. Yeah. So there's probably multiple versions of that word. There's a racist where, you know, unfortunate and even maybe unkind racial views color the way that you make decisions. And there's also racists who are lynching people and and burning crosses on people's lawns yeah. and, f- and fighting for the white that, race or whatever. Yeah, It seems to me that Brigham doesn't, we don't really see Brigham on a personal level. His policy certainly was not friendly to black people, right? That's yep. that's n- not even to, you wouldn't even contend either, you know, against that. But we don't really have a lot of Brigham Young, the person being unkind to the black people around him, right? I mean, yeah shoving him out of the way as he walks down the road no, and not yeah. letting him, you know, so so it's even like when we say, well, Brigham was a racist. That's why he did that. Yeah, no, he was a racist. Same with, you know, Everybody. so many other people <laughs> yeah. were racist in that they had odd and unfortunate racial views, but I, not a racist when I, if I say right now, boy, I've got a kid in my class who's a racist. What I mean is this kid is mean to anybody who's not white. He's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah, anyway.
0: yeah, I mean, what what, what we probably face here is the same thing we face with like a Christopher Columbus, a George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, these historical figures who are people of their time and have, like you said, unfortunate views on things that now in our modern society we're horrified by. And, yeah. and then you couple that with a cancel culture and where we give nobody any room to be humans at all and would we'll cancel them if they make a, a mistake. And and then you've got people saying, you know, everything Christopher Columbus did is wrong because of, you know, this X, Y, and Z. Instead of maybe appreciating the contributions and also realizing we have a fair amount of presentism and we're not maybe the, the best judges of, you know, the society people are in. Can, can we hold in our mind this nuanced way of seeing, you know, what's right and wrong and then where people are according to their culture and worldviews, you know, that, that seems to be a hard thing to do. And, and Brigham Young as a man of his times you know, would hold those views. It was very common. It was very Christian even to see the curse of Cain in the Bible. That was almost maybe went without saying that that was of course true. Nobody even questioned it, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad we live in a day where we do question it, where we see that and we say, no, those are terrible explanations. There's not good scriptural. That's not good scriptural reading and we reject it, which is what the church has done, you know? but but this does come and i can just hear the questions being asked by students you know is so then wait a sec so was the policy from god or wasn't it and if it wasn't from god and it but it came from a prophet what are we supposed to do with that are we supposed what do we to do with that yeah, yeah, yeah do we sustain that because we sustain the prophet do we you know if if it was a mistake you know a, from a, a an imperfect man then it, do we need to like always question when can we ever trust a prophet in that case you know and uh and th- those are kind of questions that kind of get tricky so what do you
1: how do you handle those issues yeah no i right so th- th- let's have that discussion yep. right so there there's there is this idea that i want to follow the prophet now again, I'm even. I, 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 I could go on and on about that particular statement. I love the idea of following the counsel and teachings of a, and testimony of a prophet. But again, if even a member, a faithful member of the church who is bound and determined to quote unquote follow the prophet, has to understand the limitations to that phrase, because Jesus can't find a perfect prophet to call. So yeah. You, you there, there is there is no equation that exists where you can follow a prophet who's not going to make a mistake at some point. Right. <clears throat> it just it can't exist. It's not a thing. It wouldn't... Yeah, and the expectation yeah. that um,
0: if God calls a prophet, the prophet will never get anything wrong, and he will be free of human agency, and everything he does will be divine, is a straw man prophet that will you'll never find and will only be disappointed. And, you know, unfortunately... Um, some people's faith is completely shattered because they grew up with, you know, I call it Joseph Smith, Superman syndrome, you know, or, or the, or the, the perfect prophet. And when they get inklings that Joseph Smith was not Superman and he made lots of mistakes and so does the prophet, then that, that straw man faith they have is easily defeated. Right. And I think the Lord was trying to get ahead of that in his preface to the doctrine and covenant section one. The Lord makes it very clear that, uh, these servants in verse 19, the weak things of the world will come forth, break down the mighty and strong ones. And he gives reasons why he says that the fullness of my gospel in verse 23 might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple. And then he, and then he gives this instruction about these weak, these prophets in their weakness. He said that they will err in verse 25, but they will also have wisdom. In 26, they will also sin in verse 27, and they will also be humble in verse 28. And so we're going to see the good and the bad of prophets. That will be a part of the whole program. And when the Lord says that the church is the only true and living church on the face of the earth, he says, speaking to the church collectively and not individually. That line's an interesting one, um, that, yeah. you, that you don't pin your, your hopes and dreams on an individual. Our, our faith is in Jesus Christ. That's who our faith should be in. So then 37 and 38, which are the, the scripture and doctrinal mastery verses, say, but whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants it's the same. And section 21 says a similar thing, that you should consider all his, the prophet's words and commands, as if from my own mouth in all patience and faith. And so, you know, that's the
1: that's the balancing act, right? Is So let can we talk about the word patience. Sure. And all patience and faith. Yeah. That does almost if if what's hmm, a good analogy. If someone says You I want you to follow what this math teacher is saying, but you're gonna be you're gonna need to be patient with him. What that means is give it a little time before this make this you might need to give this a little time before this makes sense to you. Yeah. Not or Or his style
0: is abrasive and hard to learn from. He's just not a great teacher, but you're gonna have to
1: kind of give that a little bit of time and you're gonna have to give that a little bit. Yeah. There is this idea that though we are, there are some blessings for being quick to observe and then quick to act, you know, and all that stuff. There's also this idea that things may not be completely clear to you or even settled in on you for a little bit of a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that might be normal. And.
0: yeah. yeah. And I also wonder if patience means that when the Lord says, inasmuch as they have erred, it will be made known. Inasmuch as they have sinned, what does he say here? Inasmuch as they have sinned, uh, they will be chastened that they might repent. That maybe the patience is also to say, I'll take care of it. When, if, if a prophet's in the wrong, if they're getting it wrong, you be patient. You trust me as I work with them you know, kind yeah. of a thing. And uh, and I will work with him. I will work with him right. to get this. Yeah. Right. And this, this is where, you know, this thought was a new thought for me this morning. I've already shared it with you. And, you know, this may be edited out of our conversation because what do we do with it? But this is where the idea of an Abrahamic covenant came to my mind that, uh, or an Abrahamic sacrifice where, you know, Abraham was asked to do something that went against everything he thought was right. He was told to murder his son, basically sacrifice his son. Yeah. And um, in, a- in a- Abraham's book in the Pearl of Great Price, Ab- Abraham chapter three, verse 25, we're told that the whole reason we came to this earth was to be proven to see if we'll do everything God asked us to do. And so this is a hard, hard test because some things God asked us to do make perfect sense. Sometimes what we're asked to do doesn't make any sense. And then in these rare cases, sometimes what we're asked to do doesn't seem right at all, and and the book of Hebrews, Hebrew twelve, um, whoever wrote that, Paul or whoever, said that. Uh Abraham was thinking that God would raise up Isaac again. Like that could have been a reason or a way that Abraham solved his cognitive dissonance. Here's, here's the son of the covenant. My promise was Isaac and you're telling me to kill him. So this is going to work out somehow. I trust you, God. I don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe you'll raise him from the dead. And then we know what happens. An angel and a ram come and spares him. And so when you think about an Abrahamic sacrifice, there's a almost impossible thing we're asked And then there's an angel and a ram. And I've heard people talk about plural marriage in these terms because section 132 does, talks about it. And, you know, it's an interesting thing when you think God's asking them to do something that on its face seems very wrong. And then there is a, but there is a angel and a ram, you know. And in this case, you know, if I think, okay, this is a Abrahamic sacrifice for the church. Well, what is a racial policy? Or following the prophet. And I wonder yeah. if what the Lord is actually saying for us to do is, can you trust me enough to work with my prophets? And I'm asking you to do whatever they, whatever they tell you to do as if from my own mouth. And I promise you that things will work out.
1: And I will be working with them to smooth anything out that isn't exactly quite right. right. Let me ask you one more question about all this then. And that is... Well, Brigham Man comes out with a policy, 1852. 1860, what is the average member of the church being asked to do in relation to this policy? Oh, nothing. I think that's pretty clear. Nothing. Exactly. So the, the only decision they have to make at this point is, do I leave the church because I don't like this, or do I stay? I think it's likely they don't even know. Right, because this takes
0: place in Salt Lake City. Well, okay, people are trying so to carve
1: out a frontier life. They don't know about this stuff, right? Well, well, right. But I mean, there comes a point where some everyone in the church realizes maybe it's 1852, maybe it's 1857, maybe it's 1901. Oh gosh, our church doesn't give black members of the church the priesthood. Huh? I got a decision to make. The the only decision there is is do I leave the church over this or do I stay? That that's yeah because you're not being asked to do anything else
0: or or do I raise um, a ruckus
1: and make somebody else make that decision whether I leave or stay? Right? Yeah. So so at that point you're saying you're really saying to yourself this bothers me but can I trust the Lord long enough to see how this worked? Like He's gonna Heavenly Father's gonna be working on this. Not that I can't counsel with people and all that stuff. Or do I leave now and the Lord, whatever he does, doesn't bother me because I'm gone? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I mean, that's where I think the promise in section 21 comes in, that if you will do this, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And when I, you know, we, we could talk about the gates of hell being, you know, the influences of Satan. But if you take the gates of hell as it was meant in Matthew 16, when Jesus originally said it, it sounds like he's saying the keys of the kingdom for the gates of the spirit world. I mean, that's what hell would have been, the spirit world. Yeah. I, I actually like that because it means if you will follow the prophet, you will have access to the work that is to be done in the spirit world, which is temple work. And so s- stay close to the prophet. You will you will be able to get the work done in the temple. But like you said, if, if the decision is made, I don't like this policy, I'm out of here. Well, th- then there, you also forfeit your ability to work in the temple. That's kind of part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Anyway, uh, that's what makes this one so tricky. You know, we could talk about plural marriage. We have an obvious revelation for it. You know, there's things we don't know. There's things we know. There's uh, all kinds of mess, you know, involved in it. And this one is like we have to change the conversation and say, yeah, this one's messy, too but we're not even sure if this one came from Revelation. and Yeah. We're,
1: well, we, well, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so, so then we have, to, we have to wrestle with
1: this one differently, you know? So what's the—I just read this—I'm taking an institute class, and this week I read this gospel topic essay, and the purpose of me taking an institute class is to come into Christ, you know, yeah. a little more. Com- combine it. How do you how does this gospel topic XA help us with that?
0: Well, I think um, I think on one on one level this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about, you know. Anybody mm-hmm. anybody today who's not bothered by a policy that restricted a whole swath of Heavenly Father's children from receiving eternal blessings has mm-hmm. a problem if they're not bothered by it. And so on one level, this question and these concerns might, like you said, lead to a person making decisions that take them away from the Savior because they throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? The ordinances and the covenants, I don't want anything to do with because the church is racist. And so on one hand, we want to remove that obstacle. We want to make the road straight again, you know, um, in that way, if that makes sense.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's caused you today to think deeply about how do I sustain profits? Yeah. How do I sustain profits that I know are absolutely fallible and mortal? And and I want to do that. I want to sustain profits in a way that helps me and those around me come into Christ. Yeah. It's, it's and again, like everything in the world, life's messy and complicated, and there's lots of nuance, and there's lots of things to consider, and everybody's different and all those things. But But honestly, honestly searching your heart to say, what is the, how can I most powerfully leverage the fact that we have prophets and apostles on the earth? How can I leverage that to come unto Christ knowing that they're imperfect? I don't want to let their imperfections and my imperfections stop me from obtaining some of the blessings of living in a time when we not only have prophets and apostles on the earth like they did 2,000 years ago, but we have access to them like we never have before, ever. Which, by the way, part of that is their imperfections and their mistakes. Yeah. But we've we've never had it so good. But we've it's only so good if we're striving to follow the counsel of prophets and, and sustain them. If we're not, well, it's like we lived in four hundred A.D. Yeah. There are no apostles.
0: Yeah, and I think on a personal level, I actually love reading about profits humanity because Mm -hmm. I want to learn how revelation works and it does me no good to read stories about people that are so much better than me that I could never hope to relate to them. The story is so sanitized, it doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, it's not, it does not reflect yeah. my life at all, so I, I don't even see myself in it. But like we talked about last week with George Q. Cannon saying, listen, apostles have to do the same thing you have to do. We have to pray, and we have to work, and we go in the dark, and we trust, and we maybe make some mistakes as we go along, and I think... Understanding prophets in this way helps me learn how revelation works in my life. You know, if I if my wife and I try to to get something right, let's say like where we raise our family or, you know, maybe some um, career choice we make. And we pray about it. We think about it. You know, actually, I don't have to be hypothetical at all. We prayed about putting money down for for that house in your cul-de-sac. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. we did. We put down five hundred bucks, which for us was a ton at the time, and it was non-refundable. And then we went forward with this with the decision to build this house. And uh, over the course of the summer, as the price kept going up with uh, w- from their original bid, and we felt worse and worse and worse about it. Um, so we, we, we struggled with it. And then when we finally made the decision to bail on that decision that we had prayed about and already put some skin in the game. And as yeah. soon as we switched and said, well, let's look at houses in cash Valley. My gosh, within the week we had a house, like the, 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 solution was so obvious and came so quickly. There was no question. The right thing for us to have done is to move into cash Valley, but we didn't know that in the outset and we made some mistakes. I, I know this is like comparing, uh, Uh, a policy that restricts people from the temple and us building a house maybe seems uh, insensitive (laughs) and a little tone deaf, but, but I, but I use it to say that, you know, the, the mistakes we made, if that was like the kind of thing that my children said, well, geez, there must not be a God if mom and dad can't pray about which house to live in and get it right (laughs) right right away. You know, that would be ridiculous. Right. Right. But for us going down the wrong road, it actually made the right road super obvious. And then when we were asked to come to Illinois, what uh, you know 18 months later i'm really glad we weren't saddled with a house in a cul-de-sac that we had just built and we're good we're going to be upside down in you know like we were in a better equity position as a result of that so yeah yeah anyway
1: Mm. all right uh 29 minutes
0: yeah wow Uh, uh, i'm not even gonna make a joke that we put a bow on this one I i think we gotta continue to wrestle and figure this one out. But I am, I'm just really glad we don't live pre-1978. I'm glad I don't have to deal yeah, with that too. policy. I'm glad that we are unfettered and able to take the gospel everywhere and tell everybody, come to the temple. It's awesome, you know?
1: Yep, yep. Oh, I was six years old. You weren't even alive. I wasn't even, yeah, I was three years away from birth. Oh, the world changed in 1981. A child Wait, was born. Wait, is that when you were born? Yep, yep. A child was born. Man, man, the drama coefficient in this earth raised by like a whole decimal point. Somebody, everybody went up and looked around and said,
0: I think a prima donna is among us. I felt I felt
1: like a thousand voices were silenced. I feel like
0: somewhere in the wilderness of New Mexico, a diva has been born. All let right, All right, let's, uh,
1: let's button this up. All right, well... If we don't get to the last topic, we
0: apologize-ish. We're going to move on to another project, though, if we don't get to this last
1: one, and that's yeah. okay. But so. I bet we get to the last one. We could do something over Christmas. Break. We'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. We'll- okay. All right. My bye, folks.
0: If you would like to comment, ask questions, or share your experience with these Gospel Topics essays, go to aninstitutepodcast.com and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You your gift to a student got to get that secret Santa, Santa. Yeah. I guess it's the problem so with being in your classroom. Hold on, let's wait until yeah. it's done talking. <laughs>